Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. If you are a new listener, welcome. We have a gift for you. A few months ago, I wrote this book on helping women to increase their sexual desire. It's completely free. It's my gift to you. If you're interested to read this book and download it, you can find the link in the show notes. It's about 40 pages, and I talk about some of the barriers and women experiencing sexual desire and some of the solutions. Today, we're going to talk about something that I found very interesting. It's the conversation today is around using psychedelic as a tool, as one of the tools that therapists can use that to help clients to navigate some of those traumatic experiences that they had. The way I learned about this approach is through a few of my clients that they shared with me that in the past they received psychedelic-assisted treatments, and it was transforming for them. And I was a little bit skeptical at the beginning, and I started reading article, journal articles and research papers about this topic. And what's interesting is that there are few very promising research studies around this topic. And one of the journals, they talk about it being a breakthrough, causing breakthrough in many kind of challenging cases of people who struggle with acute trauma. So I ask around about kind of from colleague about who I know that does this treatment. And many people talked about D.D. Goldpock. They are a psychotherapists in private practice in New York City and Woodstock. Their practice specialize in queer sex and body positive psychotherapy and psychedelic integration. And they have taught and written widely on the topic of psychedelic and sexuality. So they walk us through how they help their clients to incorporate this, this tool in their journey. And also they talk about exploring embodied pleasure and out-of-body experiences. Because we all, I would imagine, have heard people that when they have kind of like psychedelic experiences or some kind of a out-of-body experiences with substances, they talk about at times it being healing. So DD will guide us on how they approach it in their own therapy treatment with the clients. I found it very fascinating. It's one of those trending topic in the field of psychology and psychotherapy. And please let me know what you think about it. Here's my conversation with Didi Kolpak. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited to have Didi Golpa on our show. Didi, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. Is that okay if I call you Didi? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and you can call me Nas. I was just sharing with you right before recording that how excited I am about this particular topic because I know as a therapist, as a psychologist, I hear lots of good application for some psychedelic and treatments of trauma. And it's very wonderful and exciting to have a clinician 
to share how how it's been your experience with your clients using this tool. So first of all, I'm very interested to see how did you get interested in kind of doing this type of therapy? Yes. Well, I have a unique story. So I should first say that I'm a psychotherapist in private practice, and I'm not part of the research community, although many of my colleagues are. I practice a type of therapy called psychedelic integration therapy, which is a relatively new form of therapy. And maybe I'll touch a little bit later on exactly what that entails. But to get back to how I got involved in this. So I am a survivor of childhood sexual abuse and a survivor of sexual violence as a young adult. And I had PTSD. So, you know, that trauma really ran my life for a lot of, you know, my young adults years. I experienced a lot of pain, anger, difficulties with sexuality, difficulties in relationships. And traditional psychotherapy, although I had a lot of it, was really only marginally helpful at addressing those problems. And so I had been hearing about the potential of psychedelics for healing. And this was before I was really involved in this community at all. And, you know, I did what any reasonable person would do. And I went to Peru. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I got on a plane. I went to Peru. I sought out healing with indigenous healers in Peru and was very lucky that I had incredibly transformative experiences in that context. And what I noticed about it was that in some of the cases, the medicine experiences were leading me to confront trauma directly in ways that were manageable for me. But in many of the cases, the healing really came through an embodied experience of pleasure, which is not something that we really talk about a lot. So what I thought was just so extraordinary about psychedelics was that I could feel my whole body for the first time. I could feel this sense of joy. I could forgive myself. I could feel a sense of play that I lost as a child. And I was just couldn't believe how rapidly my symptoms deteriorated and my capacity to live a fulfilling life really began at that point. So that's what got me in the field in the first place. Fascinating. So tell me, in that particular retreat that you attended, was there an element of healing that was part of that ritual or part of like that practice, or it was mostly your internal experience that, that lead to that? Yes, I think people come to those types of um, retreats or healing centers in Peru uh, for various reasons. And there's certainly varied quality, right? Some of them operate extremely ethically and they have very well-trained staff. And you also hear stories of people encountering situations that are not that safe. But for me, it really was an internalized process. And it wasn't till later in the integration piece that I was really doing more refined work around the traumas themselves. So maybe that I can share a little bit about what being an integration therapist is and how I got into that part of the work. So you have these amazing transformative experiences with psychedelics, but the experience itself, though powerful, does not change our character in and of itself. Like we need to do the, the hard work comes after the ceremony. So the process that I undertook after those healing experiences in Peru which I went to Peru several times, actually. And then what I do in my practice now with clients is assist people in creating consistent practices in their life that help them to integrate, understand, and maintain the messages that they get and, and feelings as well in those psychedelic experiences. So I might be helping a person and their practice might look 
as varied as what we might think of as more traditional psychotherapy, understanding it through verbal processing. But it can also be art making practices or practices of being connected to nature. And because my background is in as a sex and trauma therapist, I integrate a lot of somatic work, a lot of body work, ecstatic rituals, dancing, and even masturbation as ways of integrating material from psychedelic ceremonies. Well, I, I love that you emphasize the pleasure piece because I yes. feel that's the part that's missing from many traditional trauma work. And I think that's such a beautiful way of bridging the experience that people have with trauma, which is very painful, but also moving toward pleasure. One thing that I was wondering, and I never had any experience with psychedelic-assisted therapy, is that is there going to be a component of traditional kind of exposure? Because as for our listener, part of trauma is avoidance of you don't want to re-experience or work through those painful memories. Is that that then being under influence help them to face those experiences or like help them to change their relationship with their experiences? Can you tell us more about the healing piece? Yes, absolutely. So the first thing I'll say is I think the pleasure narrative is something that not only gets lost in traditional psychotherapy, but really gets lost in the mainstream psychedelic therapy narrative as well. I think because psychedelics are so linked in many people's minds to the sort of like radical 1960s free love type of thing, that the establishment medicine, which has really embraced psychedelics, has done everything in its power to distance itself from that kind of perception of this kind of like freewheeling, free love type of environment and, and you know, have psychedelics be associated with rigorous science, which, which it is. But what's gotten lost in there is this idea that the healing really can happen through through this experience of embodied pleasure, which you just don't, don't see in the literature at all, really. So to answer your question about the psychedelic-assisted therapy, all psychedelics are not the same. So I'll just mention a few that are being used widely in therapeutic practices right now and maybe what's a little different about them. So psilocybin mushrooms are one psychedelic medicine that's being studied really widely for depression and anxiety, among other things. Psilocybin also has this association with what we would call the mystical experience. So it's about having an embodied experience of something larger than yourself, something that is mystical or ineffable. Another medicine that's being studied very widely is MDMA, which is known by the street name ecstasy, but they're actually quite different. MDMA is a synthetic chemical that in its pure form is extremely safe. And we would think of that as more of an empathogen. It doesn't produce visual distortions, but what it does is creates a chemical reaction in the brain and body that allows the user to feel extremely positive sensations, to experience feelings of trust and bonding, and just overall feel extremely good, which <laughs> enables the therapy to happen. And I'll say a bit more about that in a moment. The other substance I think is really important to mention is ayahuasca, which is sort of on everybody's tongue these days. And ayahuasca, whereas it is being studied in research contexts, particularly around depression, its use in both the underground of the United States and in traditional contexts outside of the country is probably the most important for clinicians to know about and what people encounter mostly in their life because it's a very intense psychedelic that can produce an, an intense 
visionary experience, but it also has the capacity to work actually on the brain on a neurological level and bring about rapid change in somebody's capacity to process trauma and their lived experience. So all of that to get to your question. Psychedelic assisted therapy is often where the way it's practiced in a research context is that the person would be given sessions of usually either psychodynamic or cognitive behavioral therapy, where they're building rapport with the person who's going to facilitate clinician. And then they're prepared to have the experience with the psychedelic. Now, the psychedelic itself can be, especially in the case of medicines like ayahuasca or psilocybin mushrooms, extremely intense difficult the you know they can, it can bring up traumatic memories it can have scary images but what many people say is it also has this connection to this sort of greater source so many people tolerate those experiences and are able to rapidly process trauma now in the case of mdma the reason that it's so singularly helpful at treating ptsd better than any other pharmacology that you know psychopharmacological medication that we have is because it produces such a strong state of euphoria that people can tolerate the traumatic material in ways they have never been able to do before. So to me, my feeling is even if we had other kinds of therapies that were as effective as psychedelic therapy, there's no therapies that we have that are as compassionate as psychedelic therapy because it allows people to process this material that's so difficult for them, but to do so in a way that's safe rather than exposing them and re-traumatizing them with traumatic material over and over. Well, I have so many questions, Didi. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I said a lot. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I think this is fabulous because that this, this conversation and when I was doing reading about this, it changed my perspective about it. So one thing about my background is I used to work at substance use clinics. I work at methadone clinics. And anytime someone talks about any kind of drug, I was like, no, (laughs) that's not good. But I had a couple of clients in my sex therapy practice that they talked about their positive experiences. And I looked into research and and I saw that there are tons of wonderful research, research studies that looked into it. So I'm very fascinated about it kind of like about this uh, new, as you said, the compassionate way, new and old, and compassionate way of processing trauma. Because you're right that even when I do more CBT exposure treatment for people who struggled with trauma, that's very difficult for people to sit with those very difficult emotions, which it can be healing. But I can imagine that if there is a way for them to connect with it in a different way or have have some kind of a help so it wouldn't be as heavy, I think that's that can be very useful. And I can imagine that will increase the engagement with therapy because I tell people that most of my trauma clients are doing their best. And who wants to get exposed to all of these painful experiences. So I think this can be a very powerful tool if it's done by a skilled clinician like yourself. Tell me about, so one one thing that comes to my mind when I think about most substances, it gives you this out-of-body experience. And you're talking about element of embodied pleasure. So tell me more about that. 
Ah, it's a really interesting and juicy question because both things can happen, right? I mean, as I was saying before, like all psychedelics are not created equal. Right? <laughs> so some psychedelics can, their mechanism for healing is more associated with what we might call ego death or a state where we are not connected to our physical bodies in the same way. And in the process of kind of feeling not so in our human body, but one with the whole universe, we bypass all of the kind of habitual thinking and the small mindedness that we experience in day to day life. And that becomes healing. But other psychedelics, where I think like some of the best applications for trauma exist, are ones that give you a direct connection to the body. And I will also say so both of those things can happen in the same ceremonial experience, too. People can have very disembodied experiences. But the thing I should say, people can have very disembodied experiences and embodied experiences in the same experience with, with psychedelics. I want to emphasize, though, I think when we think of drugs that we think of as drugs of abuse, often they're associated with a quality of numbing and a quality, a quality of not being present. And, you know, I think anyone who's worked in the substance abuse field has compassion for the fact that people turn to those as coping strategies. But psychedelics universally are anti-addictive. I mean, they're used to treat addiction. And um, some of the earliest applications for psychedelic science, going back as early as the 40s or 50s, were to treat alcoholics. So, you know, I think it does have this quality of bringing us back to ourselves. And sometimes the root of getting back to ourselves is kind of becoming one with the universe and then becoming back, <laughs> coming back to ourselves. <laughs> so if that answers your question. Yes, yes. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm so, because this is so new to me, I'm so curious about it. So I would imagine it would be useful for people who are experiencing with this and they're not necessarily had previous experiences with using psychedelic to have a safe person next to them. They, would they, is that something that they do? I know that you don't administrate drug. It seems like it's more for clinical research. And I know that there, there, it seems that you provide audio and all of those wonderful, useful things to your clients. But I'm thinking about an ideal world. Is it the therapist's need to be next to the person or that's something that people kind of do journaling as they are under the influence? Yes, it's a great question. So if we're talking ideal world, so just to clarify for the listeners, psychedelics are still illegal outside of research studies. And even though we see all of this coverage in the mainstream media, licensed therapists cannot administer these, these substances to clients legally. So that is not a practice I do. I strictly work with clients in the integration phase. And then research is the exception to that. The other exception being clients can travel outside of the country to countries where there are indigenous traditions around psychedelics and they can do them legally. So if we're talking about a post-prohibition world, what would that look like? There's this concept in psychedelics of set and setting, meaning like the mindset in which you approach the experience, but also the actual setting that you're in and that setting being safe. And one of the most safe settings is one where there's a sober guide. Right. And there can that sober guide in research context is a therapist who's trained to know how to guide someone or simply support them through the psychedelic experience. But let's not forget, like these medicines have, in many cases, thousands of years of history before white men in white coats ever started playing around with them, right? So traditional healers, shaman, medicine people knew how to support their communities in healing using these medicines going back thousands of years. 
One of the novel concepts that I really support strongly because the psychedelic space is being infiltrated by for-profit medicine. And it looks like as this emerges to be rescheduled, meaning that it will become legally prescribable for clients, accessibility is a real issue. I mean, you're talking about very long therapy sessions with novel substances that are going to be produced in labs, not grown for the most part. And the price tags on these treatments should, could be huge. And the questions about will insurance cover them or not are very, very relevant in terms of like accessible care. So a model that I feel very strongly about is really community-based healing. It's great to have therapists in certain contexts, but I also feel like peer-led, community-based, non-for-profit psychedelic spaces is the thing that I feel most excited about developing in a prohibition world. That makes sense because I feel there's also this element of healing can happen in the community and in yes. connection. So I think that can be a very beautiful thing. And I would imagine I would feel safer in my community having this experience versus I'm going with like in a room with someone that I perhaps even in this research study might not have that depth of the connection. So I think that makes sense. Absolutely. And we're also thinking about client populations that um, the medical context is just not safe for them, right? I mean, my practice focuses on the queer community. So I work with many LGBT folks that have really been traumatized in medical contexts. Communities of color have really been traumatized in medical contexts. We can't expect that having a clinician is going to be the right choice for everybody. I think it is definitely the right choice for some clients, for sure. But I do think this idea of community-based support offers the, the opportunity for much lower cost treatment. And it also offers a much more robust opportunity for culturally competent treatments. And I love that you, you mentioned there's an element of self-soothing, masturbation. It can be part of this healing. Is there, as I'm thinking about various stages of for, for, perhaps a sensate focus therapy, mm -hmm. that like you graduate to the next level of touch, is there the part of it that clients have sex with their partner as part of these healing processes when, if they are doing it outside the clinical setting? Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, because I'm working exclusively with integration, all the clients who I see are coming to process after they've already had psychedelic mm -hmm. experiences. So I use Sunset Focus really widely, but I'll tell you what I've done is I use modified Sunset Focus protocols and I call it things like mindful touch or sacred touch, right? And I go based on how the vocabulary that the client is using so we can bring an element of spirituality back into the integration work so it feels more spiritual and less clinical. So yes, it may be a graduated process where the client is starting with self-touch and, and masturbation. And um, I've actually developed some techniques as well for clients, especially who are experiencing flashbacks during partnered intercourse. And what I've worked on with clients is, has been extremely successful is going back to certain embodied images in their psychedelic experience and bringing that up as a replacement for intrusive imagery during sex with their partner, because they already have this experience that is in some way ineffable. So bringing back that sacredness, bringing back something that they've already felt so connected to their body 
into their experiences with their partner sometimes allows them to be present with pleasure, to be grounded in their experience. And um, it, it's really quite beautiful and healing. Well, that's, that totally makes sense. And I think that's awesome. And it's, it seems like doing resourcing in a steroid. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. You, uh, resourcing, people try to come up with memories, but if that was a, kind of a amplified memory, like the one that people have when they use psychedelic, I think that can be also very, very powerful. Yes, that's very well put. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think it's, it's really useful when, as you said, like people are coming to therapies to work through those flashbacks, because I can imagine that in most cases, if it's not in a contained environment, then the intensity of the flashbacks, all of those difficult emotions can be high. I would imagine that it's not something that people recommend it to do on their own without having guidance. Is this a common practice? Are there clinicians in the United States that they do the integration? Because you're the only one I was able to find. <laughs> oh, really? Well, there's quite a lot. I wouldn't say a lot, but it's definitely an emerging field of clients that do integrate, or I'm sorry, clinicians that do integration work. But there's very few of us who are working specifically around sexuality and sex therapy. So I think um, I have many colleagues who I think are just excellent and amazing clinicians who are well-trained in trauma therapy or as general psychotherapists. But the, the sex therapy part of it is really quite an emerging field. So there's... Yeah, I basically know of two other women who are doing clinical work that's mostly focused on sex and sexual trauma. You know, I was at this consultation group with my wonderful colleagues that they are sex therapists and we we're talking about trauma. And I was curious if they, any of them used psychedelic assisted therapy or heard about it. And they all said we heard great things. But we don't know anyone who does that. So as you said, it's an emerging field that can be very promising. So for our listeners that are curious about this, where can they find more resources around this topic? Well, I mean, I think there's plenty that's being written so that there's a lot of different ways people can educate themselves. I mean, there's many books written in the past couple of years that outline the research, that talk about like emerging trends in the field. I think what I see most commonly that's a source of frustration is that the therapy itself is not accessible unless you find someone who's willing to do it underground. And this prohibition creates a really difficult situation for clinicians and for clients because people want healing, right? They hear about this. It sounds amazing. Many of these clients have tried everything else, right? They can't get into the research studies. I mean, the MAPS, that's the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, they did the PTSD study that is the most high profile. They had a waiting list in the tens of thousands, if I'm not mistaken, right? Like people are desperate for these things. The problem is when clients go underground, a therapist is in the position of holding space for something. If they are endorsing that, the therapist has no real way of knowing that the client is going to be totally medically safe, knowing that they're going to be emotionally safe. I don't think that there's anything that we don't benefit in any way from prohibition. I think what we need is all of this to come out into the light so people can do it safely to know that they're taking safe substances because the research has just shown again and again that when administered safely with pure substances in the right dose, psychedelics are extremely safe for most people. So 
Yeah, I mean, the, the calls that I get every single week are people looking for me to give them psychedelics. And again and again and again, I have to turn them away. And I mean, that's definitely a hot topic within the clinical community of like, how do we handle people who are really just coming looking for healing? But I mean, in if, if we were to provide that healing, we would be, you know, violating ethical boundaries doing so. So it really creates an impossible situation. What a dilemma, because you're right that there, we know about efficacy of this treatment when it's provided in the right setting with this, more importantly, with right substances. And the other piece of it is as, as clinicians, there is limitation or limitations on how much participation you can have and the kind of like monitoring the substance and all of that. So it's, you're right, that it's very unfortunate that we don't have facility systems to help people in a in an ethical way if they need access to these substances for treatment. Because you're right, trauma is one of those in my experience, most challenging struggles that people have. And I feel like there are good evidence-based practices there, but it's not effective for everyone. And I think it's also very important to integrate the kind of the embodiment piece, especially around sex and pleasure. So I think this is a very, very good promising pathway to help people to recover. I bet that there are many people who are interested to learn about your practice now, because it seems like <laughs> you, you have extensive experience in doing the integration phase. So tell us more about your practice and how can people get a hold of you? Yes. Well, I have a website. It's my name, ddgoldpod.com, which is spelled D-E-E-D-E-E-G-O-L-D-P-A-U-G-H. And you can look me up on the internet. I've written some articles that are out there as well. So that would be how people can find me. Excellent. So it, the link will be in the show. Note. Thank you so much, Dee, for coming on the show and sharing your expertise with us. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you found our conversation useful. I certainly learned a lot from Didi about psychedelic-assisted therapy and how beneficial it could be for clients who are a good candidate for this treatment. So if you are thinking about exploring this treatment further, I highly recommend you contacting Didi Goldpock. At the end, I wanted to ask you guys that if possible, I curated this survey and I want to hear from you about what are some of the topics you are interested in learning more about because this is a show for you and so far we covered more than 200 different topics so I want to make sure that what I'm providing is useful and beneficial for you the survey has maybe four or five questions maybe top takes like three four minutes but if you take it it will help us with curating a more useful content for you. Again, thank you for listening and we'll talk next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.